the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. referring here first to being raised spiritually. So in other words, we are all spiritually dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus talks about here how there comes a moment in one's life when you respond to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, believe in Jesus, trust him as Lord and Savior, give your life to him, surrender to him. And when you do that, then you experience spiritual life. How alive are you? There's one kind of alive where someone asks how you're doing, and your answer is, I'm here, or I'm alive, meaning you don't feel very alive at all. Or there's the alive that happens at the rush of adrenaline on a ski slope. Today, Pastor Gary is going to talk about an entirely different kind of alive, spiritually alive. Once you have met Jesus and said yes to Him, your spirit becomes alive in a way you couldn't have imagined before. Keep listening to learn more about this real life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Many of you already understand about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's something that the writer of Hebrews says, I, I want baptisms plural, I want you to move on. This is elementary, so I want to make sure everybody has at least a, a cursory overview of what it means. So in John chapter 14, uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says in verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, some of your translations say comforter or helper it's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And he says to them, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be, shall be in you. So right there, we have an understanding of two aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is with you. Padra is the Greek word. He's around you. None of us came to faith in Christ except that The Holy Spirit was working around us to woo us, to bring us, to lead us to Christ, okay? So that's one of the aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Even before you get saved, He's with you. He's moving you to this place of surrender to Jesus. And then Christ says here to His disciples, and He shall be in you. Now, the Holy Spirit comes in us when we receive Him as Lord and Savior. Now, go to John chapter 20, because this is when the disciples, for all intents and purposes, get saved, and the Holy Spirit comes in them in John chapter 20. So now Jesus has been crucified. 
He has risen from the dead, and he appears to his disciples in his resurrected form. They're all gathered together, and the doors are locked. And in John 20, verse 19, in the, first, in the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. So they're, they're kind of startled because the resurrected Christ appears to them. And after he said this, he showed them his hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, this is verse 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You see that with me. So he breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is when they, for in all practical sense, get saved. You have to ask yourselves, when did, when did the disciples themselves actually get saved? When did they become Christians? Well, it's at this moment because this is the first time when they actually believe in the risen Lord Jesus who died on a cross and rose from the dead for their sins. When they believe, Jesus then imparts to them the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes in them. So that's a fulfillment of what we just read a moment ago in John chapter 14. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is with you, He's wooing you, He's around you, and He shall be in you. Well, now He is in them. However, if that was all as it relates to the Holy Spirit, then why would Jesus say what He does in Acts chapter 1? If you go to Acts chapter 1 now. Just the next book over. In fact, just in my Bible, it's only one page over. Go one page over to Acts chapter 1, and in verse 4, in verse 4, he says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this... Now, this is before he ascends back into heaven. He gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, now go further down to verse 8. But you will receive power, this is future, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So question becomes, if they received everything as it relates to the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20, why in in Acts 1 verse 8 and 5 would he say to them, I want you to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit? Because there is an element of the Holy Spirit which is the empowering of the Holy Spirit, which is different from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see, we receive the Holy Spirit and we get saved because you can't separate God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You get, you get Him, all Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But you, you know, many of you know the old saying, but does He get all of you? And so the empowering of the Holy Spirit is that fullness of God's Spirit that comes upon us, and it's that baptizing work, that fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so that is another baptism that the Bible speaks about. And then you can read later in Acts 2 and Acts 3, Acts 2, the Holy Spirit falls upon the early church, and Peter gets up and he preaches, and he said, this is the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was promised to be poured out upon all who would believe and receive. Now, for those of you who might be here saying, well, I know I'm saved, I've received Christ, but I'm not sure I have this fullness, this baptism you're you're speaking of, Pastor G. Okay, how do we get that? Well, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus said this in verses 11, 12, and 13. He, He says this, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So the way that you receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the fullness, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is the same way that you receive Christ as your Savior. You believe by faith. You ask, and you receive. 
So anyone can ask, Lord, baptize me in your Holy Spirit. I need the fullness of your Spirit. I need the power of your Spirit. For, for some Christians, they exist most of their Christian life feeling like they have no real joy, no real power, no real ability to witness to people. They don't really feel like they have any real victory over sin. They don't really have any kind of joy to any measurable degree. And they're wondering, you know, I'm going to heaven, but, you know, I don't really feel like this is, this is all that powerful. Well, perhaps it's because you have never asked specifically for that baptizing work of the Holy Spirit. The power that comes upon us The word power in the Greek is dunamis. We get our English word dynamite from that word. The power of God's Spirit that comes upon us because we ask for that overwhelming, infilling, overflowing work of God's Spirit. So I would encourage you just simply to ask the Lord and let Him baptize you with His Holy Spirit. All right, back to the book of Hebrews. So if you want more on that whole topic, you can go to the teaching archives and I taught through Acts 2, and you can go and look up Acts 2. But back here to Hebrews chapter 6, the other thing that he says in relation to baptisms is the laying on of hands. And the laying on of hands, we see different examples of that in Scripture. Why, why do we lay, lay on hands? Well, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an example in, in Acts eight seventeen, It says, then Peter and John placed their hands on them, meaning the believers at Samaria, and they received the Holy Spirit. But I, I must add, when you look at the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit fell and came upon people not every time because somebody laid hands on them. You can look at Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his family. They just heard as Peter preached and the Holy Spirit fell on them. Acts chapter 2 in the early church, the Holy Spirit fell on them. So it doesn't always happen only because somebody lays hands on you, but that's one way that we see the use of the laying on of hands. Also praying for the sick in Mark 16, 18, Jesus said in relation to believers that they will drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all, and they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And then we also see the laying on of hands for the appointing of pastors and elders in the early church in Acts 13, 2 and 3 talks about while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So we see that example in scripture as well. So those three primary reasons we lay hands on people to pray for the Holy Spirit, to pray for the sick, and to ordain or to appoint pastors and elders. And back here in Hebrews chapter 6, the other twin terms that he uses in in the rest of verse 2 is the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So that's number 5 and 6 on the list of six elementary teachings. Now, this has to do with future events. And believe it or not, the Jews believed in both of these. And even today, if you ask an Orthodox Jew who doesn't even believe in Jesus necessarily, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? And do you believe in the final judgment? They will say yes, because even the Old Testament scriptures bear that out. And I put the references up there for you. Isaiah 26, 19 says, but your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. And then also in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, Daniel says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So even the Jews understood in their Old Testament scriptures about the generic concept of 
the resurrection of the dead, that there was life everlasting, and there was also a final judgment. But it wasn't until Jesus comes along and he really defines it more clearly that we, that we come to learn even more. And so I'm going to read, you can actually turn to John 5, it's a little bit long. I'm going to read John 5, 24 to 29, if you want to turn in your Bibles and see this with me. Jesus speaks here about the resurrection of the dead and the final judgment in this passage of Scripture in John 5, 24 to 29. And he's going to talk about, in this short passage, he's going to talk about two kinds of resurrections. He's going to talk about spiritual and then physical. And so here's what he says in John 5, 24. He says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. I want you to underline that. I'm going to come back to it. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. All right, pause for a moment. What does he mean a time is coming and and has now come? He says present tense because he's referring here first to being raised spiritually. So in other words, we are all spiritually dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus talks about here how there comes a moment in one's life when you respond to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit saying, believe in Jesus, trust Him as Lord and Savior, give your life to Him, surrender to Him. And when you do that, then you experience spiritual life, that you're born again. And, and you are translated from death to life, and so you become spiritually alive. Okay, keep reading with me. Verse 26, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself, and He has given Him authority to judge because He is the Son of Man. Verse 28, now He switches here. Do not be amazed at this, meaning spiritual life. And He says, For a time is coming when all who are in their graves... I was talking about physical resurrection. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Okay, now when He speaks here, it's in the context of of what He already said about in verse 24, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. So He's not talking about people who've done really good things in their life and they rise from the dead and they go to heaven. He's talking about those who are good only because we're made good through the righteousness of Christ. But he says there's going to be a real literal physical resurrection from the dead. Just as Jesus Christ rose from the dead and his body became glorified, that is to say it became imperishable, it was still similar in feature and appearance, but it became imperishable. It was no longer subject to death or disease or it wasn't frail, it, it didn't get weak, it became imperishable. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, we shall not all sleep, but in, a, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, we will all be changed. So he speaks about people getting a glorified body, and our glorified bodies will be very similar to what we look like now. It just won't be droopy, saggy, or old, or weak, or frail, or sickly. It'll be complete. Yeah, praise God. Amen. And the older you get, the more you want to say praise God to that, right? And again, you know, who knows? How old is, are we? There seems to be, we don't know for sure, but there seems to be this, when you look at Scripture and you see, you know, when was a 
priest first able to be a priest? When was a rabbi first able to be a rabbi? Uh, how old was probably Adam when he was created? Because he wasn't created as a baby. The, the, the rabbinical thought is that age of Adam, and you see in Scripture the age of a priest and age of, is 30. So we might be universally 30 years of age in heaven which is great if you're 70. It's a bummer if you're 15, <laughs> you know. But who knows? All I can tell you is we're going to get a, a body that is similar to Christ in the sense that it will be imperishable and we'll never experience any of the kind of stuff that our bodies experience now. And so th- there's a spiritual awakening and there's a physical uh, resurrection as well. So back here to Hebrews now. So these are kind of the elementary things. And the writer of Hebrews says, you know, we should understand this, that we should move on from these things, that these, these are foundational. And there's, by the way, the final judgment that is to come. But don't, don't worry about the final judgment because that's why Jesus said, whoever believes in me will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. In Romans 8 verse 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So there will be a final judgment and God will separate the sheep from the goats. He'll separate the righteous from the unrighteous and the righteous will live with him forever. And those who have rejected him will be punished there is eternal separation. Hell is real. It's not an imagination. It's not a figment of our imagination. It's not a thing of just movies. It is real. The Bible speaks of it. And so uh, God wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. He wants nobody to go there. So that's why he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. And so all these things are elementary, the, the writer of Hebrews says. We should know these things as some basic, as some basic things. And so now we come to a section here in Romans 6 where... Uh, this is going to have to, I'm going to give a, a slight introduction to this, and then I'm going to have to come back next week because we're moving into some verses that are some of the most controversial in all of the Bible. And some of you are aware of this and others may not be, but read with me together. I'm going to I'm, just follow along as I read verses four through six. This is what he says here. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and, of, and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. How many of you have read these verses before and they've troubled you? Let me just see your hands. All right. How many of you have never really contemplated these verses? Let me see your hands. Okay, good. (laughs) These verses are some difficult verses. There's been a lot of debate. There's been a lot of hostility in the body of Christ over these verses. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of lay the framework tonight. And then next week, Lord willing, when we come back together, I'm I'm going to dig out each of these. But there are basically four ways to interpret these verses basically four ways to interpret these verses. The first way to interpret is that the writer of Hebrews is writing about those who profess to be Christians but aren't really saved. That he's talking about people who say they're they're saved, but they aren't really. They didn't really come into a personal relationship with Christ. There's another view of these verses, and that is that the writer of Hebrews is writing hypothetically. That he's creating a scenario here saying basically this is what would happen if a Christian could lose his or her salvation, but 
since he can't lose his or her salvation, then, then this doesn't really apply. But if he could, there would be no possibility of salvation. So some see these verses as hypothetical. And then there's the third way to interpret these verses is that it's not really about salvation, but it's a warning about the lack of Christian maturity. And some look at this and say, well, you know, after he just gets through talking about all these elementary things, then the argument that he's making is that if you don't go on to maturity, then you're, you're just biding your time trying to go to heaven, but you're going to make no real contribution to the kingdom. And then the fourth way of possibly interpreting these verses is that it has to do with the possibility of apostasy, that is to say a Christian leaving his or her salvation. Now, I do want to just at least take you through some verses to show that the writer of Hebrews is building a case about the potential for people to drift away from the Lord. So still here in Hebrews, I want you to go back to chapter 2. I just want to read a few verses with you, and then we'll, we'll come back and unpack all this next week. But in Hebrews chapter 2, look at verses um, 1 through 4. Well, actually, just verse 1 for the moment. Hebrews 2, verse 1. He says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away so that we do not drift away. Go to chapter 3, look at verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now notice, what we just read in chapter 2, verse 1, talks about drift away. Here in chapter 3, verse 12, he talks about turning away. Go to chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and in verse 26... He says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sank sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. Jump down a little bit further, verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. So I want you to notice, and again, we'll talk more about this next week, there's this constant emphasis, and it gets even more intense as you go through the book of Hebrews, starting at chapter 2, 1, what I just mentioned about warning about don't drift away. Then you get into chapter 3, and he says, don't, don't turn away, and he gets into, into chapter 6, where we were earlier, and he says, don't fall away. And then in chapter 10, he says, don't turn away. So there's this constant warning here throughout the book of Hebrews about this potential to turn away, drift away, fall away, shrink back, all of this stuff. And so that's key to understanding the interpretation 
of chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, which we will get to next week. So read those verses. We're going to look at them, and I'm going to give you my opinion about these four and which one I think is probably the most accurate way to interpret these verses. The book of Hebrews encourages its readers to stop relying on what they can do to be saved, known as living by the law. There's a better way, and it's through Jesus. Jesus came to earth and perfectly lived out his life, never wavering from the law and always showing love and kindness. He was perfect and was also the perfect sacrifice for sin. He obediently died in your place so that you wouldn't need to face the punishment your sins deserve. And all you need to do is accept it. Are you ready to take this step of faith? Jesus is ready and waiting for you to step away from your old life with loving arms wide open. If you're making a decision for your Savior today, please let us know. You can send an email to prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd like to encourage you to find a Bible-teaching church in your area right away. It will be a place where you can grow and learn and find the support of community, of family. You're now part of a family of faith, after all. If you happen to be in the Leesburg area, consider yourself invited to Cornerstone Chapel. We meet weekly for worship and fellowship after studying the Bible together. You'll be able to get more information at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.